Hello world from Octopost headquarters. This is Radically Transparent, Octopost's original podcast show on B2B marketing now. I'm Jennifer Gutman, Director of Social Strategy, and in most episodes of this podcast, we'll feature B2B marketing leaders who will share their radically transparent truths behind being a modern day marketer and what it takes to grow ideas, take risks, and impact change. Joining me on this episode of Radically Transparent is Kevin Babowski, SVP Marketing at Aurea Software. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you very much. I'm excited to uh, record and have this conversation with you. I know we've been uh, had a couple conversations, so I've been really looking forward to this. I have to say, I have been counting down the guests until this episode. Our first conversation had me peaked. I'm excited for the listeners to hear what you have to say for myself to dive in. Um, and I promise I'll go easy with the first question. So <laughs> with that, I was hoping we could kick off with maybe you could give us a little bit of a brief look into your professional journey and and how you found yourself as one SVP marketing uh, at Aurea and maybe even a little bit about what what it is. Yeah. No, okay. just, <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's 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 a it's great background because I think it'll help understand sort of like things we, you know, kind of prefaces some of the things we're going to talk about in a second, but I come from the most sort of non-traditional background possible for a marketer. My, I love it. My <laughs> Let's <undergrad>, dive in. <laughs> it was, my undergrad was accounting. As quiet as it's kept, I have a CPA license uh, that I no longer keep. I got my MBA in finance concentration. But what ended up happening, Jennifer, is as marketing became more data-driven and sort of analytical, my skills became completely transferable to the world of marketing. Right. And my first experience was running web analytics at the United States Postal Service. And oh, wow. I fell in love with it. I was like, this is awesome. My dad had been a letter carrier at a mailman for 40 years. Wow. So here I am working on USPS.com, trading sort of stories with him. It was just an awesome <laughs> experience. I got then, I moved into the company, a software company that provided web analytics software, a company called Web Trends. Okay. I ran product marketing for them, or not ran product marketing, but I was a product marketer for them. And ever since then, I've been in B2B software, never looked back, and really have been focused in two areas, product marketing and demand gen, and really the intersection of how do you take companies to market. And that's been my journey. It's been an awesome experience. Never would have predicted I got where I was today, given my background, <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun. No, I love it. And I think, listen, the, uh, what is the, the saying is, you know, is marketing more of an art or a science? And I think with your background, it kind of proves it's a mix of both and you need a, a little bit of both to make it happen. Um, so with that, just kind of diving into Aurea and, and keep me honest if I'm still correct, pronouncing that correctly, but what value does Aurea bring to your customers and, and what is the technology? Can you dive in a little bit into that? Yeah, so Aurea is a software company that has um, literally dozens and dozens of different software products that they sell. Okay. And Aurea's value to its customers is called the Netflix of software. So when you become a customer of Aurea, if you buy one of our products, like a product called firstrain.com, which is a sales intelligence platform, then you are entitled to use any of the other products within the portfolio of so you could pick out our collaboration software product. We have a predictive lead scoring product or an ABM platform. We have a help desk software. So once you spend a certain amount of money on one product with Aurea, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. can use that as a credit to buy any of the other software products that we have. Our goal is to provide our customers with 
tons of great software products that they could use to solve lots of problems, but not having to go out and procure those, spend a lot of money doing so. Um, we want people to adopt what, we, what we're serving and the software. And it's all integrated. It provides them with kind of a seamless experience. That's our vision of how software will be purchased in the future. And that's the value that Aurea brings to its customers. I like it. The, the Netflix of software, I, I, that's, that's going to stick. But with that, and just kind of thinking through that business model and thinking through how that even came to be, I'm sure... I'm sure there have been many sleepless nights, um, <laughs> right? And this is the question that I know our audience waits for. And I think yeah. especially as an SVP marketing in 2021, I mean, the world has completely changed and been flipped upside down. Uh, what keeps you up at night professionally? I mean, there, there has to be something. There is, there is. It's the kind of things I think about on the weekends and, you know, at night, but here it is. And th this is probably the premise of sort of what we'll talk about. So write this down or, or you know, really think about this. My biggest concern is giving my time, my team, the time to concentrate and focus on deep work, because okay. when they are busy with random tasks, when they're busy working in email or Skype or Slack or whatever app Teams, they're reacting and they're tactical, and they're not coming up with the big ideas and the big inspirations to really evolve the work that we're doing. And so I think a lot about outcomes and not activities. What's the outcome that we want to produce as a team? And then what do we need to do? What are the right things we need to work on to produce those outcomes? And then knowing if we're on track to produce those outcomes. And so for me, Jennifer, like I just feel like teams that have lots of tactical to-do lists and activities will never perform as well as a team that has time to think and concentrate and focus and do really good work. And I have found that team production is better, team morale is better, and people mm -hmm. just love their jobs more when they can solve really big, challenging problems. I, I can definitely relate to that. You know, just speaking on the social side, we at Octopus, we actually implemented a, a feature, a small little feature, um, a message AI generator. Basically, you take a third-party piece of content, you put it in the platform, and it spits back you know, little snippets of content and where I can relate to that and what you say and what makes me want to join your team is when I think about my day as a marketer, I literally have to-do lists that just get longer and longer, which therefore take away time for me, from me to be able to, Hey, what's the next big campaign on social or what's the, the, the creative essence of my job going to be next? I think that's, that's spot on. Um, and then you mentioned Slack. Yeah. And, you know, teams and being so distracted, which kind of also leads me in and we can couple this all together, but like remote culture, right? Because that essentially where we are today, that, I mean, that is how we are working from home and keeping in touch with our colleagues. I mean, so how do we bring this all together? Yeah. I always ask a question to other folks. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I think your question is around kind of the future of work. Yeah. And I would break down the future of work into two categories. It's number one, how do you work? And number two, where do you work? Okay, interesting. And, and so what, what we at Aurea, sort of in my group, we were remote before the pandemic. A hundred percent. hundred percent. We had been remote for the better part of probably 10 or 15 years. Wow. And okay. We understood how to work remotely. And so we don't make significant use of email, Slack, uh, Skype, we focus on sort of the out, 
outcomes that I was talking about, time for people to concentrate and get their work done and focus on those outcomes rather than the activities. And I think what happened, Jennifer, when people moved to this new sort of the remote world, if you didn't have all of that kind of figured out, which is how do you, <laughs> what's the outcomes, then it just became an endless stream of activities, emails and sort of, you know, alerts. And it was very, and I think if you talk to people who've gone remote during the pandemic, they've never felt more stress, more It's horrible. <laughs> it's really challenging. Yeah. So I think the first question is, how do you do work, right? Like, are, is everybody have clear sort of objectives? Do they know what the outcomes are? Um, are there times and prescribed check-ins for work that you need to do? I think that's essential for being successful in a remote work environment. So what does, for example, like a typical day, could you share with us? Because I know so many colleagues of mine, so many of our customers that we speak to, um, you know, we're all joking about the meetings for meetings and the Slack messages. Could you share a little bit about how you kind of break up your day or the week with your team, um, you know, to empower those outcomes? Do you have, does everybody know that at like 9 a.m., you know, there's one meeting and we, like, how, what does it look like? Or what advice could you give to any of the leaders listening to create this sort of um, kind of more free time to be able to do creative thinking and be productive? So the first thing that I ask, uh, or I would tell a sales or any kind of leader is like, would you be, would you be satisfied if your entire organization was working out of email, Slack, Skype teams all day long? And the obvious answer is no, right? Because you're not getting real work done. So Jennifer, what we focus on is, and I'll tell you a funny story about this. Because <laughs> we like stories, yeah. <laughs> what we focus on are just clear checkpoints. Okay. You know, at, at like, is it Monday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday? Throughout the week, we have very clear checkpoints. Mm -hmm. And we have very clear objectives around like, this is what we're going to talk about in these meetings. So these are standard sort of set meetings. And then in between those meetings, we have a lot of time for people to kind of work and focus and concentrate, right? And then in our weekly kickoff meeting on Monday to talk about the priorities for the week, if we find any issues or challenges or opportunities, we'll have like a set schedule to tackle those sort of ad hoc sort of situations, right? And by doing that, we limit, we we load balance the meetings across the week and we keep the meetings to a minimum. So everybody knows the checkpoints that they can go mm. to. We do a lot of peer reviews and okay. we find peer reviews are really, really helpful. And everybody knows when those are happening. And so it really helps people plan their week, plan their schedule and reduce a lot of the ad hoc meetings and sort of messages that happen throughout the day. Now, the funny story is it always seems like whatever we do, there always ends up being one week that has all the meetings. And so like it used to be Tuesday, then we switched it, then it became Thursday. Now it's technically back to Tuesday. So it's an ebb and flow. We're always learning. But the real key is I want folks in my organization to know what are we focused on this week, yeah. right? What's the outcome? Where do we have our checkpoints? And making sure that there's enough time for them to really do great work. So I, I think that's phenomenal. I hope people listening kind of are starting to think out because again, I, I can just speak to myself and my team at Octopus where we joke a lot about the amount of pings that we're getting or the amount of distractions, even put aside the slack, so the technology, but if we're working from home, you know, I shared earlier, you may hear my son, you know, have a little scream here or the dog or whatever it may be. So there's definitely a lot more distractions. So I really like this style. Um, and we may have you back in a few months to see how we can uh, continue 
continue the conversation there. Um, but with that, Jennifer, you know, the other, yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask you, the other question you had around like the future of work was where people work. Uh, no, and yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but that's what we kind of talked about before. Where yeah, let's, let's, let's dive into that because I think it's important to note and <laughs> talk about where people are working with the office essentially gone or maybe coming back. I don't know. Well, and, and so we talked about this. I did a little bit more research and I've been asking folks and essentially what well, we're going to stay remote, obviously, because we've always been remote, but you talk to more and more people and there's almost kind of two ver- like variations that are happening. One is people are going to go back to the office or people are going to stay remote. Um, but it doesn't seem like the hybrid is going to work very well because what I consistently hear from folks are, why would I commute 40 minutes to go to my office to have a conference call with the other people who are working from home that day, right? <laughs> and so I think there's a lot of angst around like, can the hybrid model work where you're in part-time or like, you know, part of the time and then home part of the time? That's going to be a real challenge for, I think, companies that try to figure out. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a lot of unhappy employees that are commuting to go to conference calls in the conference room at the office, right? <laughs> yeah. Which they could have done out of their yeah. own home, right? <laughs> So what I've heard, so I actually on LinkedIn, I put out a poll, um, or I should actually say I put out a GIF um, of of basically people commenting with like the heart or the thumbs up of what, what kind of model they preferred. And what was interesting to hit on that point that you just shared, what, what I had people saying back was that they see the office space as really a place for gathering when you have to do um, client meetings in person for like an enterprise account or when it would make sense to have people in person or um, for the marketing team, I've had some marketers comment uh, if there needs to be some sort of brainstorming session of some sort that will work better in person. Um, but otherwise, as you're saying, right, the, the need for the office is not really the hybrid model. I think that most people are thinking like a 50-50 split or some days from home or some days not. It's kind of as an as-needed basis. If everyone else is coming in, then it makes sense to be in. Yep. And to build on your point, Jennifer, that's exactly as what we've done as a remote organization. We probably get together, I would say 25, like before the pandemic, probably 25% of the time we were probably together in, in some office or some location. Right. And that was client meetings. It was conferences. Right. But I think you nailed something as well. Like whenever we had a big strategic project or an initiative, we essentially assigned kind of an offsite to it to tackle that problem. Or to your point, you mentioned kind of the brainstorming. And so in a way, we were spending a decent amount of time in the office, but it was around special projects. It was around client engagements. It wasn't the day-to-day kind of work activities that we were spending time with. It was to tackle very unique special problems. And so maybe this is wishful thinking on my part, but I almost (laughs) hope the future of work is that it's a series of great offsites and awesome locations that you can visit from time to time. I'd be so down for that. (laughs) You know, like think about all the great places you've gone for conferences and things. I do wonder if we'll have an element of that where it's like, hey, We've got a product launch in six months or three months, whatever it is. We need to get product, marketing, sales together, work through what the product launch looks like. This is our location. We're going to spend two and a half days to knock it out. And you come back to the theme that I've talked about around deep concentration, deep thinking. You've got everybody focused on this really strategic issue. And I think that's going to make people enjoy their work more. And it's just going to feel more rewarding and exciting. Just hearing you say that makes me already enjoy my work more. <laughs> it's not even necessarily a reality, but I think that opens up a lot of opportunities. And kind of what we're seeing here as well, 
you know, if you can change up your space, right? All those articles you're reading about how to make the workday not so mundane, if you will, uh, when you're mm-hmm. working from home, but like change up your workspace, take a walk, go bring your laptop outside for, you know, a few hours. Or, you know, I think that also comes into play with really being able to be most creative in different locations and seeing how that falls. So that That's, I love that. Um, and I'm, I'm eager to see where we're going with the vaccines getting rolled out worldwide. And there's a lot of, a lot of hope that things are going to start getting better. Um, I'm really excited to see the future of work. And I, I have to say, I mean, we can definitely get radically transparent here, but I don't think I'll miss the office as much as I thought when we all first went into lockdown. <laughs> um, and yeah. I agree with you. There are elements of having worked remote. There are definitely elements of, of the office that I miss and, you know, opportunities, but I do recall times, you know, where I would walk into the office at seven 30 in the morning and recognize that I wasn't going to get any work done of my own until I got back to home that night. So that's interesting. You're in meetings all day. When you have the half hour in between a couple meetings, you know, people will see you, they grab you, they have questions, a bunch of ad hoc. Most is good, but it's just a series of distractions throughout the day. And I think in some ways, I, I hate to say this because I've always tried to be accessible, but I think if you can, if you end up becoming too accessible, you just become constantly distracted and you can't focus on work. And I think that impacts everybody that you're working with as well. So accessibility is a tricky piece. It's tricky. There's a balance there. I, there's a lot of truth to that. And uh, what's also interesting to, to me about kind of the office life, right? Because I was, I think from, you know, from the time I graduated college up until now, I've been in, in an office space. I had one job, which was kind of, uh, I did a lot of travel. So it was air quotes for those <laughs> listening, you know, remote, because we were working from hotels on different projects. Um, but what I always kind of wonder now is there was always this, this unspoken rule. And I don't know if it still applies today. Um, but I remember it was a lesson from my grandfather who always said, make sure you get to work before the boss and make sure you leave after the boss. And I'm curious to know your thoughts in that regard in terms of today's environment or work from home, you know, are there any like rules in the wild, wild west of working from home to make sure that, you're, that your leaders know, hey, I'm on, like, do you ping them and say good morning? Do you not ping them and say good morning? Like any, any tips you have to show kind of that you're online ready to work without being that annoying employee that like sends a million pings? <laughs> yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question, right? Because I remember <laughs> having worked in the office earlier in my career, and that was definitely the case. Like you had to right? be there early. You, as soon as the boss would leave, you, you'd look around and everybody was packing up after they saw the boss go down. After she was like leaving the elevator, everybody was like cruising out, right? So, um, but your question about kind of remote, I think, um, you know, we also have a distributed team across the globe. So the hours can vary, right? Mm-hmm. So that adds like a little bit of complexity to it. I, I generally ask everybody on the team to be available for at least five hours during the day. Okay. Um, five hour blocks. So we can, if there are meetings or if there are questions, it makes scheduling very easy. Um, one of the things that we do with our, like our SDR team does this, which I think is really great. So the first one, you know, is like, good morning. And then everybody kind of follows <laughs> in after that. And it's just a good way of like, somebody's out there, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like there is someone out there. You're not alone. Uh, and I like the five hour blocks. It's actually something, you know, again, because we know everybody who's working from home and some people have kids, some people don't have kids. Some people need to start their day after going for a long walk. So I like that five hour block because it's really saying, Hey, let's make sure we're consistent in five hours. And whatever you do after those five hours, we know you're going to fill in the time when you can. Um, and when, when works, but that, that five hour productivity, I think that's a, 
underlying star explanation point point to make. And if you've got a globally distributed team, it helps. I mean, you can narrow it a little bit more, but it helps because then everybody has expectations about the hours that they set. And outside of those five hours, I mean, you talked about sort of changes of scenery when you're working remotely. I mean, people get excited when they see somebody uh, videoing or ca- calling in from a different location. Like, where are you? Oh, I'm in my kitchen. You know, like people seem to get excited because it's changed. And I think it's just great for everybody to be able to have these different, you know, uh, the flexibility there. I love this conversation. So I'm going to actually put it on the shelf for now. Um, I want to sh- I want to shift over into a question that I have a little bit about the buyer journey, the customer experience. Um, I think that in today's world, the bar is set really high. I know in you know the start, the onset of the pandemic, when it came to social and everyone digital and and everyone online, um, people were very. Uh, I guess marketers, I should say, instead of people, you know, trying to figure out how to break the noise and perhaps, you know, with buyers, maybe overwhelmed and not sure where to, how to sift through all the noise. So with the bar for engagement in the buyer journey today set so much higher than it was previously, um, how do you interact with your buyers in a meaningful, I'll throw out the word digital way today, right? To keep that momentum going and staying strong so you can stay relevant to your customers because similar to how we're all working from home and how do we stay relevant and, you know, um, connected, how are you doing it with your customers? Yeah. And this is, this is an important point that I'll elaborate on. It's around persona development. Okay. And persona development means really understanding who your buyers are, what, what's important to them and the language they use in their day-to-day jobs and, you know, activities. And to me, you can't be successful in marketing. You can't be successful in building out a campaign unless you really understand your different personas. And it doesn't seem like in some ways it doesn't seem sort of extraordinary or like unique, but it's the root, I think root cause of companies or campaigns or marketing programs that don't succeed. Okay. And there's a nuance to understanding buyers, like certain languages, certain uh, terms will turn on a buyer or turn off a buyer. And so I think it's really under, important that number one, marketers understand the personas and that they make sure everybody in the company is talking about the same personas so there's no confusion across the company. And it's one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen where I, I will be part of a company and they'll say, hey, we've got all the personas developed. And then you start asking around and you recognize that they have probably a do- dozen different types of personas and they're not very consistent across all the different departments. Interesting. So what's one piece of advice you could give to stay consistent or, or unify uh, the departments with all the buyer personas? Like what's, what's a method that could like a kickoff or like just constant, like where, what, how, what's the best way to get everybody on the same page? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's about, <laughs> it's a process, right? And okay. you know, what I would, if I were starting this in a company, what I would focus on is I would ask sort of the main departments and this is probably like the product management, development, um, the customer success team, sales, SDRs, and marketing. And I would ask them to define who, they, who they're selling to, servicing, building product for. And very quickly, you're going to start to get some nuances across those different groups. So that's your input. That's your data input. Step two then is for, the, I think, the marketing team, product marketing typically is to synthesize that and try to build out personas by the different segments of the market that they pursue. And then actually find in step three, 
real personas in the market, so real customers that they mm-hmm. could interview and really understand the nuances of their job and their expectations and sort of what they need to be doing to be successful. And then fourth, I think it's around once you have sort of a sort of idea of what these personas are, you go back to the rest of the organization to mm-hmm. see if it maps, if you can sort of get alignment on that piece. And then last but not least, I think then when you start building out your campaigns, using those small cohort of personas to actually help you understand if your message is going to resonate to those personas in the marketplace. And I've got examples where like a, a term like an alert is actually like massively off-putting for like a to VP of demand generation because it feels like somebody's watching your back or big brothering you. But for a marketing or sales ops person, they love alerts because alerts will tell them that there's something happening before anybody else will so they can go fix that problem. Wow. And so those are the nuances. If you start using alerts in your campaigns um, and you're focused on the CMO or the VP of demand, they're going to shut down immediately. And to your point on the buyer's journey, you're just going to lose them because it's not relevant, right? What the CMO is focused on in this example, the CMO was, she was focused on like, are my teams working on the right things? Mm-hmm. Um, do I have the right level of staffing? And do I have the right level of skills? That's very different than sort of alerts. And the VP of demand, what he's responsible for is pipeline building. Like he wants to build pipeline. Um, he wants to figure out the next area for optimization. So if you talk about like, we're going to tell you where to optimize in the pipeline, they're excited. So I think that's a really good example and it's kind of simple, but it shows kind of the nuances of different words and how they might impact different personas. Yeah. I, I had no idea about the alerts that me as someone, I get an alert, I get all excited. But after hearing this, I'm, I'm rethinking even how I'm crafting some of my own messages to our, buy, our buyer persona. So thank you for that insight. Um, I'm just looking at the time and I want to make sure uh, we, we keep to the 30 minute segment and for the listeners, I know they really love that as well. Um, I have two questions left for you. So the first mm-hmm. one is geared towards social media. Um, you know, executive teams and social media, it's a hot topic, um, sometimes controversial. Uh, what do you feel is the role or should the role be of executive leadership on social media? Uh, should executives be active? Uh, should they have ghostwriters? And how should sales and marketing leaders, how can they stay authentic across social media um, if you do feel they should be on uh, promoting them, you yeah. know, their brand, their own personal brand, et cetera, et cetera. So this is my uh, personal, th- th- this is sort of my take on it. So, you know, this is an important point here. Um, the executive has to have willingness and then they have to be willing to pursue authenticity. And I think sometimes with CEOs or executives, they're willing. And when they're willing, that's awesome because you can work with them, you can train them, and help them become authentic and capture their voice, right? So I think that's a win. You, you want to pursue that. Hey, somebody raised their hand. I want to. I want to be great on social. I want to find my voice. I want to be authentic. I think I've had experiences with executives that are not willing, and they just don't have their voice for that. Mm. Despite knowing the company and the market and the customers more than anybody else, they're just not there. And I frankly believe it's better to leave that alone than okay. to try to push something. Um, and make it inauthentic for somebody unwilling to do it. And no judgment at all. Like, I think some people just aren't comfortable with social and that's fine, right? Yeah. 
I, I like that answer a lot um, because, you know, again, we as Octopus, we work in social day in and day out. And I think, you know, we're always trying to encourage everybody to have a voice on social media. But what I love about your radically transparent answer there is, right, don't force something that isn't there and that's okay. And, and find maybe another space, another digital space or another forum or another channel that that executive may be um, more comfortable in and, and speak to their strengths. I really... I, I like that answer a lot. Um, so with that, I'm coming down to our closing question, and it's a yep. fun one. Um, <laughs> so with all the information, Kevin, I've Googled you. I have uh, looked you up on LinkedIn. I have gone to your company's website. I know a whole lot about you when it comes to uh, your professional journey. Uh, what's one thing you can actually share with us on this podcast um, that we can't learn from LinkedIn or Google or any of the articles written about what you're up to? Well, we're getting a pandemic puppy. So, oh, that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> so amazing. We we went to visit the the, the puppies on Saturday. They were oh. at home. <laughs> We've been looking for a year to find a dog, and we finally got them. So. We get to name, we get to pick it in, in another four and a half weeks, oh and then we take gosh. it home in about six weeks. So we're how excited. did you come to that decision? I mean, was this like you, you were always thinking about getting a, a dog, and then the, the pandemic hit, or it was like, oh, we're in a pandemic, we need some fur babies? <laughs> it was, it, it's, it's maybe a little bit of both. We wanted to have a dog. We've always wanted to have a dog. I love to walk. I have this goal every year of like getting to like ten thousand or eleven thousand steps per day for the year and stuff. So I'm really big on walking. I'm always like, it'd be nice to have a dog. And my wife said that that too. And so finally, like it was about time anyways, because my son was in fifth grade and we thought it was about time for him to have that responsibility. And then the pandemic obviously hit and that sort of exacerbated, not exacerbated, accelerated <laughs> things. Totally. So in six weeks, we'll have a puppy. So amazing. Well, I mean, congratulations here in Tel Aviv, we would say Mazal Tov on your pandemic puppy. Congratulations. We're very excited for you. Um, for those of us who want to see pictures of your pandemic puppy or want to connect with you professionally and learn more about Aurea or your journey, what's the best place to reach you and, and how can we be in touch? Always find me on Twitter at Babowski or okay. you can always find me on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic, Kevin. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real treat and we look forward uh, to meeting the pup. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer. It was great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time. <laughs>